0: hi everyone and welcome to the future of space today we have robert jacobson is a space entrepreneur partner with space advisors and author of space is open for business robert welcome to the future of space hey daniel great to be on the future of space great to have you all right so let's Kick this, like all the other interviews, and I'm going to ask you three words to describe space.
1: Well, as a uh, a consummate lifelong improviser, I would say my answer would probably at least one of these words would be interchangeable and change out. But what I will give you today, the exclusive for this day, is enabler, um, inspirational, and ubiquitous.
0: Enabler, inspirational, and ubiquitous. You want to you want to share a little bit more? Well, yeah,
1: hopefully uh, sirens going by. Let me let the, the emergency. There was a sirens going by in the background. So enablers that space is a great enabler for whether it's um, our imagination and creativity. I mean, we see all the ways that space has affected our culture for goes back for thousands of years, probably since we were in caves looking up at the sky. You know, it fielded our our dreams, or nightmares. Um, It enables commerce, you know, weather reports, new opportunities. I mean, it's just, it's really, it's, it's, it's like having this, it's like having a new ocean, you know, we have, it's like going out there and being taken up to just a brand new ocean. You can start thinking all these incredible things we could potentially do with it. And also we have lots of responsibility to be good stewards for it. Um, Inspirational kind of, you know, spaces, probably has been a, a theme to inspire us back back to when we were in caves. You know, it's just the, you know looking up at the stars and sky. Where did we come from? What is this? How did we get here? Are we alone? Are we going to be able to one day go out and journey and explore those areas? And ubiquitous, I think that word comes to mind because you, I am closer to space right now than I am to you. It is only 100 kilometers, or about 62-ish miles, above sea levels, the kind of internationally designated boundary of space. And once you're at that point, you know, the, you know, we we don't even know the size of the universe. Uh, we don't really, you know, uh, you know, it's there's you know, argument whether it has borders and edges, but essentially, it is on a scale so vast and large. Even if you put all the objects in it, all the in between stuff the space would make it almost everywhere ubiquitous that's
0: what kind of comes to mind to me today i actually never thought about that distance perspective that you and i are actually closer to space right now than we are to each other you're in los yeah. angeles i'm in vancouver so that distance like it reminds me i was the other day i was listening to a podcast and someone was telling about the evolution that we are closer to T-Rex that T-Rex T-Rex is to the first dinosaur, like for the perspective of time. It just like it shifts your, your, your vision and your understanding of, of distance and time I find it fascinating. The, um, can you share with us? I mean obviously you've been you know involved with the space industry for quite some time why why going to space what is it going to do to our species other than inspiration and you know the fact that now we can go but what is the human story and the why of going to space well it's it's been going
1: on for you know for you know humans have been going to space for over 50 years and and I think, and we've had robots in partnership, you know. So we have there's sort of kind of this robotic aspect to space and the human part to space, and and there's sometimes bifurcation. People say it's one or the other, and we actually need both. And when, and by having, because the space is really dangerous, humans are fragile and very squishy, so we'll need robots. But but going back to the why space provide has provided um, humans here on Earth in. So many technology spinoffs that have saved lives and benefited us. And there's just like, there's so many, I can't keep track of them, but I would, I encourage people to do is just look, there's a, there's a publication that NASA has been publishing for a while. It used to be in print. I think now it's mostly digital called spinoff, NASA spinoff. And they, they, they highlight and feature technologies that has been created at NASA and spun out. Now, NASA is playing things that they have not yet spun out. And, you know, people can go to these catalogs and learn about, like, what all the benefits are. And if they even see a technology that excites them and they said, wow, I want to, like, incorporate this to the business, it's not terribly difficult to get a license and do that and create um, some sort of venture from that and so whether it's um, you know medical environmental uh, material sciences there's just so many places that space has provided us advantages and in many times there were things that were kind of through serendipity where you know they were doing work and um you know they're doing work on on, on mars and they create a sensor that has a uh, they're like wow we could use this on earth for this for this other activity dual or multiple use and i think that's the great thing about space is because it's just this still sort of mysterious frontier that we're learning about we're still exploring that we're going to we're going to generate all sorts of new solutions and and new topics and new uh, research areas based kind of on this this mystery and serendipity that we're um that that's that encompasses
0: space do you think that from the perspective of the planet earth or from the origin of life, life was always always intended to actually become multiplanetary.
1: I, I don't really, I don't know. I don't have enough information about that. I, I've, you know, I've read about the you know the panspermia idea. You know that you know maybe Earth, Mars, and other plants are kind of like seeding each other. You know, there's the ideas of like you know that compounds came um, traveling through on a comet, and uh, you know and all of this seems like it could be valid, and maybe it happens in different parts of the universe. I don't know if it is. I have. I, have, I think that I've heard the expression: "Nature has a way of kind of like survive." Nature has a way, so I think nature in life might have multiple ways of of um, finding ways to uh, you know take ground on a rock. That seems very uninhabitable. It might be give it a few billion years, but find a way to survive and eventually thrive.
0: The, you are the author of Space is Open for Business. You've been in space for quite some time. In fact, we'll talk in, in a little bit about your book how it's basically a, a list of the who's who in the space industry. I keep taking notes of every name that I'm reading in the book. But before we get there, can you tell us your journey from, um, I guess, university to where you are now? Were you always interested in business, or was it kind of uh, going a little bit around and then finding your way to to a space?
1: It was definitely a little bit uh, circular. I mean, as a as a as a kid, I was interested in in business. I had like lemonade stands, and and I was fascinated by this idea of I had a few. I think a few shares in a company that were gifted to me when I was like a little kid, and, and getting the letters and reading the um, the annual reports and and still trying to get my I head around the idea of like I own a little piece of this massive company, okay. And um, and I and I was fascinated by space very early on. I, one of my earliest memories was seeing Star Wars with my father, and then we even had a little. I think my dad probably still has it it, that he had this little, I don't know what format it was. It was some sort of film format. It was like this big and it was like the movie star Wars cut down to 20 minutes, (laughs) which was kind of cool. It was like the little conversion and he would, he would, he would, we had a door in the house. He would kind of close like a, um, uh, it was just kind of like a built-in door. He would kind of swing this door across and project, project this film. He had a couple, a few films, but I always loved watching the Star Wars one, even though it was a lot of ways kind of like a fantasy, but just journeying in space and being in space, it was really great. And um, and so as a kid, I had the opportunity to go to space camp, which was fun. Um, but I also, I realized that maybe I, I didn't want to go into necessarily go into the military. I realized a lot of people were doing kind of this very, there was a specific path around going into the Air Force or some military branch and uh, I thought it might be cool, but I didn't think I really had what it would take to, like, you know, go through an Air Force Academy. And, and then I got glasses, and I was like, there are all these things, these things, dings. I was going, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And I got really into music then um, and, um, in high school, and that became a, just a sort of overwhelming interest around, like, specifically around jazz and improvisation. So when I went to school, I studied both business and music, um, and being a musician is very entrepreneurial, but I was, um, also interested in just like other things, other skills to have and other things, uh, not just learning about like opera and jazz and stuff like that. Um, so I kinda, um, I built, built that in my undergrad. And then after school I was teaching, uh, Teaching music and uh, and I went into real estate. I had worked in real estate before, but I'd gone into like kind of the brokerage side of real estate, and it was quick, pretty quickly bored with it and just not it just wasn't wasn't very exciting. And um, and I was poking around for some other things to do, and I and I saw the had heard about the X Prize and was following that. And then I had the opportunity to go out to see one of the X Prize or pre-competition flights. And that changed everything for me. And it just really kind of crystallized. I said, ah, space, new frontier, probably gonna be a business around it. I don't know how I can participate in the moment, but I don't care. I'm just gonna like dive in. And that's essentially what kind of happened was space was this catalyst for me to um, make a number of, of new Changes, lateral moves in, in my life, and and uh, so it was kind of this inspirational point. And then later on, I went back to the International Space University, and and so I kind of did some things maybe in a little bit more piecemeal way. It was probably kind of out of sequence to what maybe a a college advisor or high school advisor or, or someone in the aerospace sector might advise. But I've I've kind of been one to kind of just uh, you know, follow my own song, so to speak.
0: And how how did you go from going to space university getting into space business and then at one point decided you know what i'm gonna spend what is it two two years two three years that you took uh to write open um spaces open for business well well i started to write the book daniel at the start of the international space
1: university i had the idea it i was going to to kind of do, do something. And I had been kind of cataloging sort of the, the different ideas or chapter ideas and outlines and kind of just doing a lot of gathering and then end up doing a lot of kind of end up being practice interviews, um, during the sessions at, um, ISU. And then, um, when I came back, just kind of continued to, to morph, morph all that put it together. And, and I wanted to, Ultimately, kind of write a book for myself as if I were just entering this space and be like, "What would I want if I could have like if I could only have one text? What would I want?" And I think I got pretty close to 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 that what I kind of had envisioned and what I felt the need was. I actually had spent some time a few years before that doing some. There was a, uh, a project that I started, kind of coding myself. I was learning how to teaching myself about computer programming and and i was building this um model for a project regarding talent um talent matchmaking it was the the software i was building and and helping build and and um so i started doing a lot of interviews with people around the space sector where were the needs what currently what are their challenges and you know so it I've always thought that it's good to have a little understanding on like, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Is there a need? Will somebody pay for it? Or if they won't pay for it, how, how are you going to be able to like sustain it? Um, in, in a, uh, and, uh, so I've, tr- you know, you just try to take your different experiences and hopefully inform and in, in, inform each other. Um, but, um, once the book was kind of, done, it was a whole different process that I had no, um, it was completely kind of new to me is like, you know, kind of the, the releasing and launch of it, which happened during the, uh, kind of the first sort of part of the pandemic. So that was, um, a coronavirus pandemic. So that became, uh, an interesting challenge to learn, like, how do you break through some of the noise and, 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 and have a successful release.
0: Can you share with us one unexpected discoveries that you um that you had while writing the book gosh uh, unexpected discovery
1: i think the i think the unexpected discovery is probably like it's a little like investment the i ended up basically standing up something that was like my own publishing company but now I have some of the infrastructure. I could do other books or multiple books. Now that you've kind of done one, whether it was in parallel, not necessarily meet like authoring multiple books in parallel, but, um, as like kind of a project, because sometimes, um, like when you're investing or, look, um, you know, you might be doing diligence on a business to see whether or not you're going to invest Let's say you're going to invest uh, $50,000. Canadian or U.S. doesn't really matter. But you might do the same level of diligence on a $500,000 investment or $5 million investment. And like with the book, I ended up as self publishing, but I was putting all these pieces together for one book, but I realized, gosh, I could do some other things as well. Do I want to, or do I have the capacity? That's a different question, but um that was kind of kind of a surprise i had one friend of mine who i talked to a bunch and he's in the book his name's kartik kumar i'll embarrass him for a moment most people i always ask this question i was talking to people about the book or whether they're formally being interviewed or not whether state whether science fiction was an inspirational point or not most people said yeah like this was my favorite science fiction or you know that you know and and uh, my friend kartik was like no Science fiction was not really at all wasn't too into it as a kid, did not uh, inspire me to go into space and so I always felt like you know occasionally would meet an outlier who just enjoyed the pure engineering aspect of it or the um, or the opportunity. and it wasn't because of like whatever their favorite science fiction was.
0: Who was the, um, the, I mean, you've interviewed dozens of people for how many people did you interview for the book, by the way? Oh
1: gosh. I, I haven't even, I'd have to look back. I don't even know the exact number, but it's in the,
0: the many dozens, many dozens. Can yeah. you, did you find that there was a connecting personality trait between all these people? Either it was curiosity or, uh, a, a vision, um, what was, what was the kind of the unifying factor of all these people? I think that space
1: is just this open, you know, this, um, this frontier that is kind of like, you know, there's, you know, we know a little, there's a lot we don't know. And a lot of people suspect there could be like, you know, they have their own interest with it or whatever the solution set that they want to get involved with. And, and I think it was just like, Hey there's like this, behind this door, this whole world that we don't know about. And we can each take our own path to gather collectively, individually. And I think that's kind of something that people, you know, there are people who've kind of held on, some people who have, you know, had these kind of, um, they've been inspired and in thinking about space, sometimes like their earliest memories. And, and, and then some people discovered it. Um, I found a few people who kind of discovered things for they had a teacher in high school, or they read a book and they said, "Oh, okay, this is something I could maybe do one day. Oh, I could have a job at this." Okay.
0: The um, now the title says "space open for business," but really, when I was reading the book, it's about the history of the business of going to space. There's, I think, for anyone who's interested of learning how the business of space evolved and started it's i mean it's almost like a a book of history
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's it's helpful to to study some of what we're you know where we came from and what we've done whether you know it's the history of telecommunications you know the you know the the soviet versus the u.s part of it and all still you know doesn't, it doesn't have to like, you know, one doesn't have to become an expert in this, but it's worth sort of knowing about like the roots and, and where we're going and some of the mistakes so that we, tro- we hopefully don't attempt them again. And I have this real, I mean, this is almost a, a fear that we're really going backwards right now as a species, you know, we have a, um, this war going on in Europe and, uh, and that's, and there's a lot of other places in the world that, you know, could, could could erupt pretty quickly, but particularly around the Ukraine and there's threats and there's threats to the, uh, to the space infrastructure and there's people being, you know, killed and maimed and, and like here we are in 2022 is like, aren't we supposed to have like diplomacy when we don't get along? And like, it's, it, it, you know, it felt like, you know, in the old days of the 20th century it was a lot about hard power and, and strong power, authoritarian, like, you know, and big leaders and i thought the 21st century was going to be more about the minutiae of, of soft power and, uh, and influence and and i hope that space has been a great unifier even i think it was in the 70s when you know, the, at the height of or parts of the cold war there was a docking between the u.s and soviet so soviet um spaceships so we can still you know there's still ways that we could work through this but there's been a lot of contention a lot of there's a lot of tension going on right now and then even if we ignore that even if everything were peaches between um you know russia and the rest of the world we have the current climate crisis which um is uh all the experts are saying it's it's now at the moment not about solving it it's now about mitigation and going you know how how do we how do we deal with this this part of the paradigm where instead of just talking about a few hundred thousand people or a few million people dying from covid but potentially billions being threatened um, and, and, and large extinction events for um species that we need to thrive this is um this is where it, it's a hope which isn't worth much that space come you know says hey we can be a great force for good and positivity, in terms of international cooperation, which has been done in the past, we can still do, and we can also participate and lead in um, in ways to curb things around, uh, you know, pollution and the uh, climate crisis.
0: So, <clears throat> space kind of started as a competition, really, between Russia and, and the U.S. Then it became a unifier factor with the International Space Station. Now we're getting into a new era, which is less unifying and we got China on one end. Now we got the conflict with Ukraine and the more people that go to space, the harder it's gonna get to have that unifying um, collaboration. What are your thoughts on, on these different Um, strategies and vision. I mean, China is definitely, you know, they're building their own, their own space station. Um, what, how do you see China playing in, in, in this new reality?
1: Well, um, and this is some anecdotal things that I've read recently is that, you know, if there's continued conflict and tension with, with Russia, China could, um, come out ahead they are building a new space station and they're doing a lot of they're basically re, they're basically recreating a. US Soviet style program just much quicker maybe making some of the same mistakes but just doing a more compressed time and the, if for some reason um, the International Space Station and cooperation on there becomes in, uh, encumbered and and there's distance there and there's you know challenges. China could step in and start trying to attract, you know, new users and partnerships there. There's pros and cons to that, taking, you know, a larger leadership authority. And um, that might also inspire non-Chinese efforts to, to invest further into space, being more of a competition. I would love for our pol- policy people and our, you know, our, our elected leaders or unelected leaders to, to look at, you know how cooperation can actually um, yield an even better um, result and dividends, rather than just purely um, competition. I mean, you could there's hybrid coopetition and things like this, but um, but I think right now it's probably pretty tricky. But I think if we had some you know, bold leadership, that you know said hey let's see where's the common ground because right now the united states does not cooperate
0: really officially with with china on space because for, for a variety of reasons you think that that's going to be one of the big consequences of the conflict with russia that it's there's going to be a void created by the exclusion i mean the the isolation that russia does and that board is going to be taken over by China. It could. I mean, I think they, and
1: I think but it's also an opportunity to, for more cooperation. It's just, you know, unfortunately, it seems like they, some of the there's a lot of irrationality at the very tops of some of these pyramids. So how how does the public how can the public um, influence um you know some of the decision makers saying hey we actually want for a peaceful and cooperative use of this domain um you know so we can improve the whole ecosystem and improve everybody's lot and not
0: just you
1: know one country versus the other
0: one of the things that covid did was to kind of r- remind the USA of their dependence of manufacturing outside. And a lot of companies have been trying to bring that back so they're not as vulnerable. As soon as the conflict with Russia and Ukraine erupted, um, NASA turned around and started to order more um, missions with SpaceX. Um, I guess one, one of the unintended consequences is gonna be for US to be less reliable on outside partners and kind of make sure that we have our own priorities here in America. What do you think?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's I mean, I think one of the dangers is that you can have, you know, then countries and regions just becoming trying to become little islands and insulated from each other. We had this whole opening where we were becoming very interconnected and interdependent, and there were you know pros and cons of this kind of global relationship. And now because of kind of conflicts, there's this, Oh, maybe we, we shouldn't outsource everything. There's probably a happy medium in there. Um, but for an example, my, my consulting partner, Keegan, he had, he brought up that um, the Ukraine is actually the largest exporter of neon gas. It's 70% of the, of the global supply. And so why is neon a big deal? It's, it's used in laser etching for the semiconductor industry. So if Ukraine gets cut off. It might affect every level of the of you know computing, uh, the computing sector. So that's kind of that's something for us
0: to really pay attention to is around uh, neon. Wow, interesting! I didn't know that uh, Ukraine was uh, such a an important piece of the puzzle. Um, so you wrote about the space industry. Can you? Give us what are your thoughts on the timeline of, first I guess we're gonna establish really an orbital presence, and then the moon. I think the next I guess maybe your next book will be Moon Open for Business, and then Mars. Do you have what are your thoughts on on a certain timeline for for having a a permanent presence, first of all, um, having a, a stable presence orbital and then the moon, and then Mars?
1: Well, we've had um, kind of a long-term presence in the International Space Station for a little over, I think, 21 years or so. About that, um, I hope if I were in charge, I'd probably put the ISS, you know, maybe uh, or parts of it in some sort of maybe graveyard orbit because I think just burning up burning it up at the end of its life would be almost akin to um, blowing up a pyramid. Um, you know, we have over a over hundred billion dollars that was invested to it and it's just this amazing technical Marvel. So why not honor it in some way rather than just burning it up. And, um, I suspect that we will have, you know, other orbital platforms, human crude and uncrewed, um, you know, the timeline, I think by 2030 seems like we'll at least have, you know, call it at least one that's that's not run, you know, or managed by, by a government entity. Um, the moon where I think we're going to, you know, we're going to... It seems like a lot of the lunar companies have been have been delayed, so I think probably st- we can start seeing the return to the moon and for the with on robotic missions twenty twenty three maybe end of 20, 2022, maybe end of this year, into twenty twenty three. This return to all these scouting missions, surveying missions, and um, it would be great to see you know, this decade that we get some sort of um, outposts there and start creating you know a presence there. Um, I think longer term, I would like for us to develop in space, um, stations, like in between the moon and earth, um, where you could have thousands of people living. there really, truly starting to build these villages, if not larger cities, um, in space and, and, you know, you could have variable or, or artificial gravity. Um, you know, you can use the power of the sun. I think there's a lot of opportunities there rather than just getting, um, initially sucked into another gravity well. Um like on Mars. Um, I think eventually Mars will get explored by humans. But I, I and, and, and somebody's gonna want to do something more long term there, but I I am not sure about the timeline for Mars. I mean, there's like NASA time frame, Elon Musk time frame, but who really knows? That's all these are just these are estimates. And I would not take any 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 anyone or organization's word, um, you know, um but you know, uh that's 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 my commentary there.
0: I've written some others have written how 2021 was the tipping point for the space, our relationship with space, and also for the space industry. Um, following right now, what's like South by Southwest space is is really a you know a, a strong presence. Worldview is over there with their own booth. Um, there's been space. I mean Rachel, uh, Space Humanity, Dylan. Uh, they're like like a handful of panel discussions with space. Do you think that 2021 was the equivalent of the 1998 and the computer where when Steve Jobs came out with the iMac it really kind of made the computer industry, no more of a, of a special little world, but more of a commercial public um, domain. Do you think that this is where we are now with space? I don't think it was one
1: particular year. I think it's actually was a number of events that have been unfolding over the years because they all were dependent on other events from previous years. So it was a gradual trend that's been going on for 20 years, really. Maybe some would say longer, but you know, Blue Origin and SpaceX were started around 2000, 2001. Um, so there's like kids in college now or students, young adults in college now who were, you know, born when SpaceX and Virgin were first being created. You know, I was already an adult. So, um, um, so um, and then I think, you know, we have just seen over the past two or three years, a little bit more acceptance for mainstreaming because of these other events, because you had s- suborbital orbital rocket companies that were doing more testing and flights, bringing more interest. A few were having, Crude on those flights, Um, there was more funding going into different uh, activities, different announcements, Um, then maybe things have a little bit more teeth and and because there's a little more backing behind it or or street credibility. There were some great efforts earlier on, but they just, they didn't have enough of the financial backing or or they were given credibility by the, you know, the media, you know, great efforts strong teams it was just sometimes the wrong timings timing can be important
0: timing is extremely important i think it's part of the the success of so many things is just being at the right place with the right resources and having the, the right vision um i mean i feel that personally the the technology of rockets being reusable and being able to the land upright was a turning point in making this reality now more accessible. What do you think? Um,
1: yeah, sure, maybe. I mean, I guess that's a part of it. I mean, <laughs> I've heard a bit about like the, that evolution of like, you know, of um, you know, you had the, the DCX program in the 90s that took, got, you know, returned upright. And uh, you know Blue Origin had been working on. I mean, before Blue, Mass, Mass and Space Systems was really kind of a um, one of the early private companies doing this in a really robust, dedicated way. And I've heard anecdotal stories that um, Elon basically saw that before he before he had the Grasshopper program and said, "I want that." <laughs>
0: So you did, you did with that what um, Steve did with Canon and, and the mouse? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, Robert, so Space for Business, open, open for Business, your book now is out. Um, where can people buy your book? Um, is it out on Amazon and other or on your website?
1: Yeah, I sell it uh, independently. Love it when people buy it independently. It's at spacesopenforbusiness.com or just through robertjacobson.com. Um Have audio, digital, soft cover, hardcover, and then it is available on the big corporates like Amazon, which you stated, and also the Audible platform, and independently through my uh, as an audit, audit, a non-Audible audiobook
0: independently. <laughs> Did you, did you have to record twice for that? Did you have to record for Audible and then for the, uh, the independent?
1: No, no, I didn't, but I had to do a lot. So all the meta kind of the metadata work and pre, um, I guess, uh, the onboarding with with Audible was kind of intense and sort of frustrating many times. And I think it was just not a very um, low friction process, maybe because I was new at it, I I don't know, but it took, uh, it was, it ended up taking like, uh, like probably an extra 10 weeks longer than expected, 10 to 12 weeks longer than expected, working to get it available on Audible, but it's available for those who are Audible fans.
0: Yeah, I went through the same process for Feel the Wild. It's an a interesting process where you think it's a pretty straightforward and then it, it turns into kind of a headache. Um, Robert, what's next for you now that you have the book, now that COVID is reopening, um, what like what's the plan, strategy for, for you for the next 12 months?
1: Um, well, I've got the book coming out in other, other languages, which is good um so make it um, there is uh, some interest regarding working on a, a potential video project which uh, could be a lot of fun uh, in my um, consulting capacity with space advisors we're working a lot with um, organizations who aren't necessarily taking advantage or in the space sector yet and we're helping them create a strategy for space and um, that seems to be um, growing um, also have kind of advisory positions with, um, or I've taken kind of founding relate founding advisor or role relationships with a number of other, uh, organizations. Um, so I think it's, uh, expecting a, a strong, a strong year. Um, and, and, um, a lot of the, the different companies are all so different from each other that I'm working with. So sometimes it can be, it's always, uh it's interesting to have like you know the you know what do they call it just switching between modes you know you're uh, but there's a lot of commonalities between share between businesses but sometimes uh, thematically our focus can be very different so um
0: just trying keeps me really on my on my toes can you can you share with us um if you can some of the companies that you're working with that are doing amazing work or some upcoming technologies that you're aware that really gets you excited when you get up in the morning? Um, sure. There's a, a company
1: called Darwin AI. They're actually a Canadian company. They're currently forming a U.S. subsidiary, and they're a, um, they've been working with uh, manufacturers regarding their um, software around um, helping reduce um, uh, errors in, in, in inspection and things like that, Think of quality control. Uh, really cool group they kind of they came out of uh uh which is at winnipeg uh, not winnipeg there's a i'm just butchering it's cool. it's kind of like the mit of uh of canada and a very strong computer science program so it was something that was developed the university spun out um there's an effort called galactic legacy labs where um, customers can go now and they can um, buy different types of archival space through, um, things like I'll give you a variety of different ways and they can put this, this data, whether it's consumer or more larger sets of data, photographs, even visual content, text in, in long-term storage that'll last for billions of years that will be sent to the moon and probably other places and other missions. Um, we have our uh, first flight contract with intuitive machines um that's galactic legacy labs um uh working with um, a biotech company uh, i can't really share actually a couple of biotech companies can't really share too much about that but there's a lot of uh, interest around um how that could be helpful think about it like how they could be helpful for
0: astronauts and thriving in space the um just a, on that funny question if you had the opportunity and move your wife and your cats to, uh, to the moon, would you, uh, would you go and, and, uh, and go and live over there for, I don't know, a couple of years. I think so. A couple of years sounds pretty awesome from the moon. That would be
1: fun. No. Yeah. Cause then you could like, you could become really good at like all sorts of like lunar, I think I would get really into all sorts of lunar, um, athletic activities. You know, lunar gymnastics would be super fun, you know, although I think, um, when, when, when you're hanging out with the cats, I would have to always make sure they're, wait, would you either their nails keep them very sharp or keep them very trim? Because I could see flying cats coming at you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to have to declaw them before you send them to, uh, to the moon. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I
1: don't at, at the moment. I think they, they, they prefer, I think they enjoy the Earth. So I don't. I, I don't. We'll, we'll see about
0: that. <laughs> I did ask some uh, some friends the uh, the question, if uh, if people were okay or would actually be against it, but the idea of looking up to the moon at night, uh, when not not the illuminated part of it, but seeing lights on the moon. Um, when we start to have cell the, you know, people in building and obviously these building will, will create a light and these lines are going to be visible from earth. I personally, I can't wait for that moment. Cause it's going to be the first time that we have a physical relate, a physical sight, like a real site of human presence on the moon. Um, and some people were just like, absolutely not. This is going to be an awful day when when that happens. I, I don't.
1: I don't know. I just hope. I imagine we will have a point where we're gonna. We're gonna even with binoculars or telescope see some little lights. I just hope that they're that they don't that there's not enough of that they don't cause conflict with say um, the natural way of things on Earth that depend on the moon. Most of it's dealing more with tidal and. And gravitational pull i don't know so much about like if there's a few extra like if there's a little speck some of the moon and that's like a city if that's enough light to cause any disruption to anything um uh but but yeah i think i think more i would have more probably be with you on the side of curiosity
0: robert this was wonderful i've been enjoying your book i was talking to scott from uh, from polaris down and uh inspiration for he told me that he actually devoured the book. He just went through, through the book. Still. So, for anyone out there, I thank you. totally recommend the book. It is, um, you learn so much. You, you really get the sense of who's involved and who's shaping the industry. So, uh, on behalf of everybody out there, a big thank you for creating this, this, um, this sort of information that is just so great so thank you yeah oh thank you for the
1: kind words it was just uh, it was good to be of of service to the uh to the community i hope people
0: can will find it enjoyable
1: and inspirational so cheers to that
0: (laughs) (laughs) cheers we'll make sure that we have the the links to your book in the um in the comment and then we'll also drag them to your uh to your website uh, if they want to contact you and um and you and I I believe will be meeting soon I'm on my way to uh to Los Angeles uh in the next couple of weeks so I look forward to catching up
1: it will be great to hang out again daniel thank you so much for having me on the future of space and um and uh, and it is an exciting future let's just remember that it's
0: exciting and fun absolutely robert it was a pleasure thank you very much thank you daniel